The following program has been pre-recorded. On this episode of Belonging, the show for young Catholic adults. I like to refer to myself as a unicorn because I'm a native Nashville black Catholic. This week we're joined by Miss Courtney Barnes. I've just always kind of seen race through a Catholic optic. If there was ever going to be a place in the world where people could actually get beyond all the tensions, it would have to be church. Like no other place would it ever work. Next. This program is made possible by the generous donations of Jeannie and Bill Stayskull, members of Christ the King Parish in Nashville, and by a grant from the Cook Foundation. Take advantage of the many opportunities for young people in the Nashville Diocese to connect and find belonging. Like University Catholic, a community of college-age students who are serious about their faith and unite in fellowship and friendship to deepen their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Go to universitycatholic.org to find out more. You can also connect with young Catholics like you by attending events like Summit Music City. It's a night of music followed by adoration and reconciliation. It's free and open to young people of all faiths. Go to soundscatholic.com or try Theology on Tap, where you can gather with other people in their 20s and 30s like you who want to learn more about their faith while enjoying a beverage together. Join Theology on Tap Nashville on Facebook for events and times. Welcome to Belonging on Nashville Catholic Radio. Belonging is a show for young Catholic adults uh, just to connect and define their story uh, with Jesus Christ and on their lives. We talk about different topics like relationships, uh, finances, and interview a lot of great people, just detailing different parts of our lives here. Today we have a very special guest. She's done a whole lot in Nashville and a great connection uh, with everybody. My name is Zach Jansen. I grew up here in Middle Tennessee. I'm a recent graduate of Belmont University in Nashville, and we're joined every week as we are by Father Javon. He's a chaplain at University Catholic and does a lot of great work in the in the diocese as a priest from Brazil. But this week we're joined by Miss Courtney Barnes. Courtney, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. So you know Father Javon already, huh? Yes, Father likes to rope me into his projects. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, yes. Well, he, su he suggested your name and said right away, such a big deal that I don't know. Like she is a big deal. Too. She's yeah. a great deal. Well, tell us a little about about yourself for those who have no idea who you are. Just where are you from, and, and sure. where life led you a little bit. Sure. Um, well, I like to refer to myself as a unicorn <laughs> because I'm a native Nashville Black Catholic. Um, yeah. So other people like me are usually related to me. <laughs> um, but like I, a country song. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I grew up here in Nashville, so I was baptized and I attended Holy Rosary in Donaldson. Oh, beautiful. Right down the street from CPC. And um, after that, I studied philosophy at Notre Dame. Um, and that was my big trying out the Midwest or really leaving the South ever. Really? <laughs> and I very quickly came back. <laughs> yeah. um, and really want to be with family. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to, to be near my family. So after um, my time at Notre Dame was kind of the time of discernment, the time of kind of trying to figure out what God was calling me to do. And so that's why I kind of chuckled when I heard that Father wanted me to tell my story a little bit or you wanted to hear it because I was like, well, maybe I could help people who don't have a linear path <laughs> yeah, sure. figure out what God wants them to do. But um, I spent some time teaching theology at Pope John Paul II. Yeah. In Hendersonville. Sure. So I, yeah, yeah. So I love that school. And it was actually through teaching theology 
that I discerned a religious vocation. Really? Because I was teaching students to be open um, and to just teaching them about all the treasures of the church. And I was like, oh, maybe I should be open <laughs> and figure out what God wanted me to do. And also growing up, I didn't really meet any Dominican sisters, even though I'm from Nashville, but I had friends that went to St. Cecilia and St. Mm. Joseph. So I kind of knew about the Dominican sisters. So when I started discerning, that was just the first place I went because I was like, well, there's a convent right up the street. Uh, huge, yeah. Let's check that out. <laughs> so I did a vocation retreat with the Dominicans in about 2009, I think that was. And um, that is probably the most life-changing moment of um, How so? The, the, the retreat? Was it a weekend or a week? It was a weekend retreat. Again, yeah. I'd never really met sisters up close, um, but I just, I really felt called and I felt like I wanted to, to start in Nashville. So it was kind of a shot in the dark, really. Mm. Um, but when I went on the retreat, it was the first time I felt in my life that like thing, pieces were beginning to fit together. The Dominican charism of just like preaching God's word and like saving souls really spoke to me. Mm. And especially having studied philosophy, I was like, oh, wow, you can center your life around souls and like other people's souls. And, and well, I was yeah, like, wow, you know, it just it really spoke to me. So I, um, I just stayed in contact with the Dominicans for about six months and actually entered um, later on that same year. And I spent five years with the Dominicans. Really? Yes. So um, full habit, religious name, everything. What was your religious name? My religious name was Sister Hannah. Hannah. For the mother of the prophet Samuel. Okay. Yeah, because my mom um, actually plays a pretty big role in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely still a little kid. Well, what is that role like? Is, is, it, a, is it a quick... Pro the five years, like, do you, is there an acceptance process? Yeah, and especially, again, for young adults who might be listening, actually, I am happy to share that process because I would say, you know, as someone who lived religious life and discerned out, you know, especially for women, I think for the priesthood, it's a little bit more um, common to think, you know, if, if you want to know about it, go find out. Uh -huh. But I think for women with the convent, it's like, uh-oh, I don't want to get locked up. I don't want to try that well, out. That is what you think about, yeah. <laughs> So I, I would really encourage young women to, to go on a vocation retreat, mm. at least. And um, so the process for the is different for each order. Mm. But for the Dominicans, you have a year's a postulant. So you, you enter the monastery, you give up all your personal belongings, and you just dive right into poverty, chastity, and obedience. Wow. And so those three virtues um, are the marks of Christ, and that's what forms religious life. Mm. And so um, after a year of, and as a postulant, you don't wear a habit, but you wear like a distinctive um, religious garb. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that you're not in the world, but you're not quite fully in habit. And then after a year of that, um, you're asked if you would like to continue. So there's always an opportunity to rediscern. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then after that year, that's the year where you would choose your religious name and where you would um, wear the habit. So it felt right to keep going as you reevaluated yeah. each year. And I so. did. And especially, I think that the Dominican habit was very attractive to me. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, if I've come this far, I want to try on the habit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say it was actually probably... Um, about six months after the first year where I began to kind of um, not be quite certain if it was the life for me. Hmm. But at that point, again, once you give up everything that you belong, once you go all in, I wanted to know for sure. Wow. So I felt compelled to just stay and really know for sure. Hmm. 
And um, and so actually at the end of that, which you call your novice year with the Dominicans, um, you make a three-year commitment. So that's how I jumped from two to five years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I did decide to go ahead and make that three-year commitment because I wanted, and I, I felt like, honestly, and the Dominicans actually say a lot, you know, even if religious life isn't your vocation, it's what better preparation for marriage? Wow. What better preparation, you know, to spend time, intimate time with God, with Scripture, singing the Psalms. What a beautiful way to think of it, though. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that, you know, in our lives we have good days and bad days. So I think it's important that how... One of the things that I always tell the guys in the seminary is like, go for your, you know, if you coming out of high school, go to your, you know, philosophy, you know, finish mm-hmm. philosophy, get the four years, because you're going to be the days are going to be the bad days, you know, some days going to be, and I think that's interesting, those three years, because it really allowed you to go through the process and see, yeah, it wasn't just a bad week. And so where did you find yourself after five years, if I may ask? So then I knew for sure it wasn't my vocation. And mm. it's kind of interesting because, again, going back to what Father was asking me about my religious name, when I picked um, Hannah, at first it very much was like an homage to my mom. But also um, it was the spirituality of, of how I felt like God related to me. But also what I realized – so actually let me go into it just a little bit. Um, if people don't know the story of um, the prophet Samuel's mother – um, she sings a canticle to God of thanksgiving because she was barren and then through the Holy Spirit was able to conceive a child. Mm. And so um, that whole story was just so attractive to me um, at first because I thought it was the idea of a mother placing her child in God's service. But the more I prayed about it, um, it was like there was a desire in my heart to be a mother. Wow. And there was a desire in my heart to be both a spiritual mother and a physical mother. Um, so the more I prayed and the more that that desire popped up, I, I knew that um, religious life wasn't my vocation, but um, I was just very grateful that I had spent that time learning about it and knowing for certain so that when I left, I had zero regrets. Like I was so happy that I was there for five years, Wow! Um, but I also knew it was time to go. After I left, I knew that I wanted to still serve in mm. some regard. A mentor of mine, Father John John Sims Baker. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I just was kind of looking into like what parish he was at. Like after mm. I'd come out and to see all the changes and things, and I saw that he was in charge of University Catholic, and I was like, hmm, are they hiring? Oh, really? just simple <laughs> yeah, as that. just simple as that. And so it just it was total providence because it was literally at that time the former director of campus ministry had just resigned. Um, and so I just reached out to Father Baker and, and asked if I could join his team. It was a funny story. Can I tell you a funny story about I the... I don't know what the, you're talking about, so you the, might as well. The Courtney <laughs> Barnes would die. Oh, yes, Father. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it might offend some people. Well, well. <laughs> so we well, got to now. Yeah, yeah. go yeah. ahead, go so ahead. We, we got in the news and we saw that a Courtney Barnes got struck by a car or something like that. She was riding her bike and, and she got hit by a car. By a car. And they're like, oh, my God, Courtney died. You know, like, and everybody starts to go crazy. And there's like, Courtney, oh, my God. I think there was like an email from the diocesan listserv. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so thanks to God, it wasn't, you know. Well, wait, no, the best part of the story (laughs) is that people called me to ask if I was alive. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best part of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, I'm I'm texting Uh, from the other side. I hadn't even seen the news, so I was like, yes, I'm alive. What's (laughs) So, so anyways, my name is very common. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't her. <laughs> it Thanks, was be to God. But I don't know. Why. You see, that's how we got 
we just get lost. Uh, anyways, <laughs> but so we met. So Courtney came back to help us on that transition period, and then you know we finally hired uh, Nick, and then. But she always comes back and help us. You know, she went with us for a March for Life last year. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah so she always comes back and help us. And I think her, she has like a good spot spot in her heart for University of Catholic because it's Amen. awesome work with you know with college students. Yesterday I was meeting with somebody and you know, I was a senior and this guy was just like, well, you know, I don't want this. And I said, you know, I call this BS. And you, you know, we just kind of had mm -hmm. a great conversation. I was like. And that's kind of really cool. And then as we were talking, this mom came to me and said, hey, are you Father G? And I said, yeah, well, I just want to, you know, follow up my kid that went to University of Catholic and now, you know, he's in a rehab center or whatever. But I was like, and then he was like, oh, so it's like, that's kind of, I think it gives us a lot of hope for what we do, hmm. you know, to propose Jesus Christ and form his disciples in everything that we do. So it's beautiful. Um, I had a chance to read a little bit. Maybe you can detail more if you please could uh, about your, your website. Which is it called? Is it BlackCatholicPros.com? Sure, yeah. I can give a shameless plug for my <laughs> website. <laughs> BlackCatholicPros.com? Yes. I only got to read a little bit of it. If you could please detail more, just what the beauty of what your writing is. Sure, sure. And that's actually one of the reasons why I left UCAT was um, so that I could write. I wanted to, to carve more time out to write. Mm. And so I started this blog, um, again, kind of as we started, as being a unicorn, you know, a black Catholic in the South, I've just always um, kind of seen race through a Catholic optic, and I've kind wow. of always felt like if there was ever going to be a place in the world where people could actually get beyond all the tensions, it would have to be church, like no other place would it ever work. Mm -hmm. And also, I've always deeply identified with the European culture just by virtue of being Catholic. So it's like this weird, I almost feel multicultural just because I'm Catholic. Yeah. Um, so just having had all of those experiences, I decided to write, write them down. Um, and so on this blog, the main purpose is to dialogue about race and religion, mm. um, but also just to really educate, too, about a lot of the gaps that people have. I, I think there's a lot that we don't, yeah. don't know. Yeah. Especially about African American history. Hmm. And again, as we go through this moment right now, right, in mm -hmm. our society where there's like an awakening to the, the racism that black people have experienced our whole lives, mm -hmm. um, well, a lot of the conversations that I've had with people, it's like there's some pretty basic stuff in American history that uh, would inform a lot of these conversations if people just were more aware. And so I've written about like the history of police brutality through the civil rights movement. And, and again, it kind of also tells my age because for me, it's not that far removed. Like it's one generation. My parents lived through the civil rights movement, not oh. my grandparents, you know. And so I heard these stories growing up. And, um, and also Nashville is such a unique place. And I would really wish people would dive more into Nashville civil rights history. If you think about the lunch counter sit-ins that happened right in downtown Nashville. If you think about Meharry, Fisk, TSU, wow. historically black colleges established right after Reconstruction for the education of emancipated slaves. Like there's so much rich, rich history here in Nashville. And I think that's got to be part of our supplementing our education so that we better understand ourselves and can build bridges with culture. So it's all right here in Nashville. Yeah. So I think one of the major gaps that I've experienced um, in people's education is just this, the difference between stereotypes and um, 
the difference between stereotypes and then what actually happened in history with black culture. So, for instance, if you think about um, stereotypes in black culture, you might call to mind, like, hip-hop um, culture, or you might call to mind um, anything in pop culture, you know, like money, drugs, like that sort of thing. But if you look at history, um, and especially, again, growing up with parents who literally moved to Nashville because they wanted to attend historically black colleges, um, education is so central to black culture. And it's literally like our ancestors died so that they could have an education. And so, yes, there is this whole, like, hip-hop narrative that might not respect education, but that's not authentic black culture. And so I think that's a huge gap that a lot of people need, or a misunderstanding, I think, that a lot of people need to have, um, or need to revisit history so they have a better understanding. So one thing I always talk about is, okay, think about U.S. history. Think about post-Civil War. Think about the fact that emancipated slaves, what is the first move that they made to establish the NAACP, to try to secure a right to not only education, to literacy, primarily as a means to vote, Mm -hmm. but also just for edification so that they could um, really just have all of the advantages of, you know, society that everyone else can have. And so in my family, that's the narrative that we grew up hearing, is that literally your ancestors died so that you could have a decent education. So don't watch TV, go read. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so that's what I want more people to understand, better understand about black culture, as opposed to like seeing characters on TV and walking away with that as their understanding of our, our culture. That's all we see, I think, is... is that's what's popularized, unfortunately, is what you, is what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. Can you tell That's about fine. that? I think you talk about on the town halls about the class that you were in. The yeah, teacher. I was yeah. trying to tap dance around it. I'll just <laughs> go ahead and call it out. We'll use names. Um, well, it's just, honestly, it was just an instance where I experienced prejudice in my own life. Um, I was in a master's class at Aquinas College, um, and I was in... Um, a diverse learners class for educators, which is essentially trying to empower teachers to help students who might have obstacles to learning as far as a learning disability, or even if culture can be an obstacle, if they're a language learner, like all those things. So it's diversity across the gamut. And one of the things that came up in that class um, was cultural diversity, and the teacher, the professor who has a PhD, you know, stood in front of the class, and I was the only black person in the class, um, and, and she said, you know, black students perform lower on standardized tests because their culture doesn't value education. So it's important for you to know that as an educator. What so, a sentence. Right? So I, I sit and I, I look around the room <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> raise my hand. And I was just like, you know, it just puts you in such a, I mean, it's just a terrible, you know, situation on so many levels. First of all, I felt attacked. Right, like my culture, I had to instantly be a representative for my entire race to correct or wrong. And I am somebody who is a subordinate talking to my teacher who has authority over me and a greater education, but is clearly ignorant in this particular regard. Wow. So I like raise my hand. How do you do that? I mean, just really. Yeah, well, you know, even I have to admit at first I was speaking at a place of hurt. I just had to correct her because Mm. I felt hurt and it was wrong. Yeah. And I said, you know, 
what you said is just wrong because you have to look at it, and, and I referenced what I said before. You have to look at the NAACP. You have to look like at Brown v. Board. You have to look like the Arkansas Nine. Like, not only have black people, you know, made moves to secure an education, but we've literally sacrificed life and limb mm. to have an education. And so to just make that blanket statement is erroneous, and it's harmful. Why? Because you have a whole room of people who now receive this misinformation as and gospel you, truth. Yeah, and you take it out it's like, oh, yeah, this is the truth, and it's not. Yeah. Um, and, and I think part of that, too, though, a good lesson as far as statistics, and I think this is one thing that's coming out as um, race is entering more into academic conversations, is statistics can be very harmful out of context, too. Mm. And I think what would have been helpful, because it is true, you know, a lot of black students do perform lower on standardized tests. The question is why? Not, not because <laughs> of the reason the teacher gave. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at... Um, income disparities. If you look at the fact that um, a lot of underperforming schools are in counties that don't have resources to pay, pay for proper educational text, like that more so to me would be the reason. I think you would have to have like a, a really anthropological study to really get <laughs> to the meat of it, but I think that there are some concrete answers you could identify, and I don't think that, well, I know for a fact that um, not valuing education is not one. It's not part of it. Do you see yourself living that every day as, as a teacher, I suppose, now, just living that vocation in, in your life, just every with meaning and purpose to serve? Yes. Like and, and again, not just black culture, but this is actually a passion that Father and I share, too, of just like equaling the playing field mm -hmm. for Catholic education, period. And another passion of mine, another side project <laughs> oh, that gosh. Father and I, I hope, might collaborate on, is I've been hoping to um, to bring a, a affordable Catholic education to Nashville wow. because there are so many low-income families who desperately want, and not even low-income, middle-income families that are large, you know, yeah. that can't afford the price tag of a Catholic education. And again, just to go back to the gospel, you know, like, we can't exclude people from Catholic education mm -hmm. because of their ability to pay. Mm -hmm. That is literally contrary to the gospel. And so I just, and, you know, it, it's, it makes sense because if someone is in a situation, especially a low-income situation, they need Catholic school arguably that much more than someone who can afford it, quote-unquote. And so um, another passion of mine is just finding avenues to make Catholic education more affordable, specifically in Nashville. Uh, the high schools are, are hard to reach these days. I see when I see the. Oh, <laughs> yeah. From my the, the price tag but of the high schools rivals that of college. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that, and I think grade school, hopefully, is. is grade school is, 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 is definitely more much more reasonable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the problem with that is, you know, so many people we see, well, we're going to send our kids to grade school because. We can afford it at a time, but then it's like when are you really forming young men and women is through high school. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to, you know, on the time that you really need to be formed and to be, you know, cared for and everything. And it's like, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah. And and I also have to, now I have to call you out, Father. Yes, oh, ma'am. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> when I arrived, Father was in the middle of this passionate debate about Catholic education in the hallway. Um, but part of part of I think a passion we both share too is not just making Catholic education accessible, but having it be authentically Catholic. And I think that is something that you know if we were to envision like the perfect high school um, for Nashville, just also just you know having 
no apologies about being faithful, um, faithful to the gospel, faithful to our call as Catholics, putting literally going to mass, learning um, the virtues at the center of our education and not an afterthought. Wow. You know, I think that's something we're both passionate about as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's, I think it's like, it's what we believe, you know? So it's like the Catholic faith is the faith that, I mean, that's why we're here today, you know, mm-hmm. because somebody was courageous enough in the past to, you know, stand up for the faith. And, you know, many martyrs and many people die because of that faith. And I think that helped us to understand that that is the right thing to do. And if, you know, if I know that this is the right thing, why should I? And it's fun because it always ends up with food, you know. It's just like when you go to a big restaurant and you enjoy that restaurant. What do you do? You go to help people go to yeah. that restaurant. It's like, hey, you have to go there. You have to try this, and you have to try that. Hey, don't forget the dessert. You get, you know, you get passionate about that. So if we believe our faith is what we believe it is, that's what we should be. You know, that's what we should be like. Hey, have you heard about the gospel? You know, have you like? No, you are screwing up. That's not how you're supposed to do this. Hey, you know, God loves you, but He wants best what is the best for you so mm-hmm. stop doing this you know don't do that that's not you know i mean we we had a lot of experience on you know throughout the whole uh black lives matter and everything we had three uh town hall for for university and courtney participate in one of them two of them but it was just like yeah we have to tell the truth we really have to make sure that people know what the truth is that mm-hmm. you are loved and god loves you so much that he doesn't want to keep you where you are. And I mean, we, we talk this about, about this a lot of times. You know, we have to meet people where they are to take where they should be. Amen. And a lot of times we forget that second part. You know, Jesus didn't say, oh, yeah, you, you know, you're a sinner. Yeah. He never said, like, keep going. He said, stop it. Repent. <laughs> Come to the light. Move on. Your sins are forgiven. Sin no more. Change your life. Mm-hmm. I entered, I mean, today, the day that we're recording this show is the feast of St. Matthew, mm-hmm. the apostle. You know, Jesus looked at him and said, Follow me. He just followed him. Despite he, him being a tax collector. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, I was, I was, I was, you know, praying of the gospel this morning, and it was something that really shocked me is as soon as he followed him, he had a dinner with all the other tax collectors. Mm. Hmm. So it was not only I accept Jesus, but now I want my friends to experience the same thing that I experienced because that experience changed my life. And now I can go back and say, come the other tax collectors because this guy changed my life and he can change your life as well. Witness, discipleship. It's not only for me because it's so great of a experience that now I want other people to have that experience. Mm -hmm. Courtney, do you have any final thoughts before we close here? Yeah, just to echo Father's sentiment, because especially the Catholic school, you know, even historically in America has been, you know, the starting ground for evangelization, just as Father was describing. And that's literally how, you know, my mom converted to Catholicism because her mother wanted her to have a good education and just randomly put her in a Catholic school in Louisiana. That's why I'm Catholic, you know? <laughs> so it just, it, it really is transformative, and it's the primary means of spreading the gospel. So Beautiful. Well, thank you for your work with, with Catholic education and making that affordable. And thank you for your time today, too, for all you, know, you said, and Father Javon, for your insight. 
thank you all in our listening audience out there. If you like what you heard today, you can write to info at WBOU.org. Remember, you can always tune in at 100.5 FM. You can listen online at WBOU.org or with your smart speaker by saying Play Nashville Catholic Radio. Special thank you once again to Father Javon, Courtney Barnes, and my name is Zach Jansen. Thank you for listening to Belonging on Nashville Catholic Radio. On the next episode of Belonging, we'll talk to Bill Staley, the Director of Youth and Young Adults with the Diocese of Nashville. We look at at what we do through the three transcendentals, and we ask ourselves, is it good, is it beautiful, and is it true? Because those three transcendentals, no matter what kind of human you are, no matter whether you're far left, far right, dead center, wherever, those are attractive to you. And wow. so religious you, or non-religious, exactly. I hear it all the time. Right. And that's what Barron uses a lot. Bishop Barron is, um, you know, we have to look at things and, and people are just, it's a philosophical fact that you're attracted to those three things. So how can we mm. propose the faith with those tools? Mm. On the next episode of Belonging, Thursday at 11 a.m. on WBOU, Nashville Catholic Radio.